Farm Food Facts, where every farmer, every acre, and every voice matter. Today, our thought leader is Walter Robb, former co-CEO of Whole Foods, who's now investing in food and agriculture startup, and will share his insights on both organic and conventional agriculture, how we need both to work together, the importance of retailers working with farmers, how food and agriculture is moving sustainability forward through technology and continuous improvement. Let's get started. Walter, welcome to Farm Food Facts. You've been quite busy since leaving Whole Foods. I know you've invested in or now part of the leadership of Food Maven, a unique company that's making significant efforts to eliminate food waste. Tell us a bit more about Food Maven to start. Well, morning, Phil, and thanks for having me on. And uh, I love listening to the the turkey talk. This is, uh, as you know, the busiest food day of the year. This is the day when this is the high point for selling food as a retailer is as a food retailer, simply no better day. And I was going to tell you my one quick turkey story, sure. which is yeah, of course. finally a couple, a couple of years ago, how do you sell more turkeys? Finally, one of our store team leaders just said to heck with it and put a big old honking sign on the front of the store that said, buy your turkey now. It's like less than subtle. It's just like, here, we're ready to sell you the turkey. So it is a big day for food. And when you put that turkey in the basket, you do pick up uh, a lot. You, you may have a much larger basket size. But I'm happy to visit about um, food Maven. It is uh, as as I um, stepped down from Whole Foods about a year ago, when we sold to Amazon. I have been um, looking around and investing in uh, and working with uh, I think a group of entrepreneurs that I think are creating uh, you know some of the new companies for the food companies for the future. And one of the companies I'm very excited about is a company called Food Maven, based out of Colorado. They're in one the Denver market now, and they're moving shortly into their second market, which I'm not sure they've announced yet, but. Essentially, what we have here systemically is of the food produced and grown and distributed in the United States, about 40% is wasted, wasted in the sense that it's not used. So it's produced but not used. So we're pretty good at growing food in the United States. We're pretty good at eating it, but we're not so good at using all of it. And about 25% of our landfills is, in fact, fresh food. To give you an example, what happens is, let's say, you know, five pallets of butter lettuce comes into the Whole Foods Distribution Center. It doesn't meet spec. In other words, uh, the spec may be, uh, the specification may for the lettuce to be at X size or X diameter, X, and for whatever reason, it may be a little bit short, and so it gets, the term is bounced, uh, which is to say sent back. In the old days, this would just go, you know, does go back to the farmer, but by the time it gets back to the farmer, it's no good because it's another couple of days, you know. Mm-hmm. So where does it go? It goes to the dumps um, or it goes to, Somewhere. So what Food Maven is to do is to say, all right, this this is a thing, a solution whose time has come that we, we need to really address this, particularly given the number of people don't have enough food and, and so forth. So they combine old school logistics, picking up the product, uh, warehousing it, uh, uh, but they also then have made a market into the retail food service industry so that they can find a home for that produce in a timely manner. That is true also, let's say a chicken company is producing 100,000 pounds of chicken breasts and the order comes in. Because, you know, customers, they don't, they don't follow always a straight line. Well, they don't, the order only comes in for 50,000 chicken breasts. What is that chicken producer going to do? They're going to freeze it? No, that's an extra step, extra mm-hmm. labor, extra cost. So, so what happens is Food Maven, again, can pick a step in, take that, and make a market uh, for that. They have uh, invested in uh, <clears throat> the technology, the platform, and the data tools to uh, can t- increasingly become more sophisticated about creating matches uh, for that food with various retail food customers. And the beauty of the model is it's a win-win-win in the sense that uh, typically food maybe takes it on consignment 
but the retail food service customer gets a nice deal, gets a nice quality product at a, at a, at a lesser price. The producer now gets the food maven cuts the producer in for something versus they were going to get nothing before and food maven takes a slice for providing the services and as their platform and technology continues to and data continues to improve they're able to you know really make the make that market function so i love the fact that they're essentially making a market in a new world order for something that had no solution had just you know uh legacy systems that really weren't keeping up and solving this problem and that's an exciting company. It's the first one I've seen that I think really has the potential to scale. And what's been interesting is they're also getting contracts with hotel chains because a lot of cities, municipalities are creating ordinances around companies' responsibility with respect to food waste because they see the same problem on their end. And so as a result, this, this company is pretty exciting. And I think it's an issue that we don't talk so much about in the food industry. Uh, over the years, we talk more about the retailing and the production systems, but it is something that we now need to talk about in terms of being responsible with the food that we produce. Now, Walter, you know, you've always prided yourself on having a great relationship across the entire supply chain, especially with farmers and ranchers. What, what can retailers learn from you about the importance of working together with farmers and ranchers? In fact, uh, the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance just attended Grocery Shop a couple weeks ago where these farmers were actually able to talk and meet with retailers directly. So what, what can retailers learn from farmers and ranchers? Yeah. Well, so much. I mean, I remember a few years ago at Whole Foods, we actually created a series of baseball cards, but the farmers were on the baseball cards. So, you know, the farmers being the hero sort of idea. And if you think about it, the value chain of a dollar, a grocery dollar that gets spent, the farmers typically get the smallest percent, even though they're, you know, producing the food that we enjoy and eat. So uh, there, there's so much, I think what, in more than just get to know from, I think there, we need to reimagine, um, this whole the whole value chain and really think about where the value is being created and honor honor and celebrate each part. I mean, you know the the uh, um, you, you, the distributors are in the middle sometimes and that's difficult. For them. But I've talked to so many farmers in the last six months. I've spoken at several conferences and you know they they uh, they see the problems with just being in the commodity markets. They're getting banged down. If you look at the dairy industry right now or some of the others, the pork industry being challenged by the tariffs. They're just they're not getting full dollar for their efforts. In many cases, they're losing money, and that's not a sustainable situation. So they're all asking me, "How do I get my? How do I get?" I, I think they feel underappreciated. Uh, they don't, their stewardship skills are not recognized. The responsibility they take for their land, and I think they're not feeling, you know, they're not feeling the love, if you will, for all the work that they do. So I think we've got to, as a nation recognize you know what these folks are doing and there's a declining number of farmers the aging of the farmers is well documented and while we do have a number of younger folks getting into the field it's hard and expensive to get land and when the markets are unpredictable like they are it's difficult for someone to see an economic you know future there so we got to kind of i'm like teachers we need to kind of reimagine and re-celebrate these farmers so i mean again you've seen at whole foods we've always tried to tell their stories put their pictures up really try to include them, invite them into the, with the, you know, connect them with the customer so people know who's raising their food. And customers today, particularly the younger generation, has an intense interest in who's raising their food and how their food's being raised. So I think there's opportunities for us to learn uh, and to spend the time with them, to, to, uh, to celebrate them, to, to tell their stories, to encourage them to, to come out as well. I mean, farmers tend to be shy. You know, a lot of the farmers don't, you know, you put them in a demo or something and they're, ah, shucks. 
you know they're not uh, they're not uh, they're not people that they're typically people that work on their own or sort of enjoy that and you know you put them in a social environment sometimes it's harder for them to connect uh, they're not used to doing that but I think those sorts of opportunities wherever we could we could have them come to the store and demo people love meeting them tell their stories you know recognize our job is to merchandise the food and to present it in a compelling way that their job is to grow it and, and to, to kind of tell the whole story that way. Um, so I, I think there's lots of things to learn both ways. And I think farmers sometimes have an unrealistic expectation that you can take every item that they grow from every farmer and sell it. Well, you know, at retail, you have to make choices. You, you know, we don't have endless space. And so there's things to learn both ways, but you know, at the end, uh, I'm a relationship person before commerce. I think commerce comes from good relationships and, we always, you know, one of our key stakeholders was the supplier stakeholder, and we try to always celebrate them and, and you know, pay them on time. You know, they, that, that's important to them so that they, they can count on that and, and treat them with respect and try to tell their story. So I, I think reimagining how we do this, you know, it's a battle out there in retail today for shares. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's playing the private label card a little more aggressively, and in which case they don't necessarily put the farmer forward because they're playing on price. So you've got all that to take into account, but fundamentally recognizing that you know, farmers are the ones that are producing the food. Um, you know, obviously the Whole Foods, we continue to encourage them to taking more steps towards greater sustainability and transparency. So I'd love to see the conventional farming community continue to recognize that those things are important to customers. And I'd like the organic farming community to recognize that these conventional farmers of different sorts are are, you know, are pretty good stewards of the land as well. I think we just need more dialogue, more transparency, and more celebration of the fact that these folks are working so hard to produce the food for all of us. It's not an easy thing to do. It's backbreaking work, and and it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's not work that, you know, I, I got a little garden in my backyard and I mess around, but if you, you get serious about doing it over acres and acres, it's a very serious deal. And so, so Walter, um, so you're not but, willing to take the 120,000 turkeys off Daryl's hands? And, and put those in the backyard? <laughs> yeah. No, but I, have a cer- I do have a certain set of skills to help him sell it, but ah, it okay. sounds like he's, he's already with HEB, though. He's, got, he's with a fine retailer. HEB is a very fine retailer. Exactly. So. Well, Walter, he's have a good. great Thanksgiving, and, and thanks so much for joining us. So let's go to our news. Um, have you heard about the clever technology that's keeping America's many disabled farmers on the job? According to the Journal of Agriculture, Safety, and Health, one in every five U.S. farmers suffers from a disability that impacts their physical health, senses, or cognition. Thankfully, these farmers receive support from a program titled Agribility. This federally funded program helps facilitate the use of technology for disabled members in the ag community. The types of technology utilized include a four-wheel drive golf cart, auto-locking tractor hitches, electric wheelchairs, and even smartphones. Using these types of tech in innovative ways allows farmers to continue working despite their disability, which in turn contributes to their physical independence and improves the farmer's mental health and overall quality of life. What grocers need to know is if a farmer gets hurt, technology can help that farmer get back to work. Technology also continues to have an increasing impact on the way consumers shop for groceries. Shoppers are finally starting to get more comfortable buying fresh produce online. While online shopping is typically popular with consumers, most folks have not been keen to buy their produce online. However, a new study suggests that despite appreciation for traditional grocery store shopping, interest in online grocery shopping is growing at a rapid pace. 
The 2018 U.S. Online Grocer Shopper Study reports that about half of the current online grocery shoppers surveyed said they plan to do more online grocery shopping in 2019 than they have this year. This is a notable shift compared to previous surveys. Consumers seem to become more willing to purchase fresh items that they have in the past. In recent history, online food shopping skewed more towards packaged frozen or dry goods that shoppers knew would fare well in transit. However, this new survey discovered that online purchases of both produce and cheese increased by 50% in 2018 as compared to 2017. Meat and seafood also saw an increase in their sales by over 40%. Additionally, this year, four out of 10 people are shopping online for their Thanksgiving grocery items, which is more than double since 2017. What grocers need to know is that retail options continue to evolve and change as consumers become more comfortable with alternative tech-based ways to shop. And whether we're shopping online or in grocery stores, it's the season for holiday foods. In addition to the traditional and beloved turkey, many folks are starting to serve a new main Thanksgiving dish. A new study reports that 65% of Americans are interested in trying an alternative to turkey on their holiday table this year. This intriguing new stat emerged from surveying over 2,000 Americans in regards to all things concerning Thanksgiving. The most popular alternative including ham at 60%, chicken at 41%, and roast beef at 37%. This study also revealed that nearly half of holiday hosts will be serving an alternative Thanksgiving main dish this year. In addition, Erner Barry's market video reports that this year's consumers are buying larger jumbo chickens as compared to last year. Perhaps folks are purchasing larger chickens as an alternative to turkey for their holiday bird. Of course, although Americans' palates may be expanding, we don't envision the beloved turkey being removed from holiday menus anytime soon. What grocers need to know is that turkey is number one, but be sure to display and promote ham, beef roast, and even chicken as add-ons for main dishes as consumers seek to expand on their holiday menu options. And to further expand on this year's holiday menu options, retailers should encourage more cranberry consumption this Thanksgiving. American farmers are in the midst of a cranberry surplus. There are more cranberries available than people will eat this year. And unfortunately, they cannot save those extra berries because they're already storing a good amount of the crop from 2017. The extra fruit is driving cranberry prices to below the cost of production. Therefore, the cranberry industry has agreed to destroy a quarter of its crop, which will result in a waste of about 240 million pounds of cranberries this year alone. The New Food Economy reports that most cranberry farmers are not planning on slowing production, so in order to minimize the amount of fruit wasted, we should really push for new ways to incorporate this holiday favorite into our upcoming Thanksgiving and Christmas meals. What grocers need to know is to think beyond Thanksgiving through the entire holiday season to promote these delicious and nutritious berries and products. Cranberries are not just for Thanksgiving any longer. So how does all this delicious holiday food impact the wallets of consumers? 
Well, according to the latest Farm Bureau survey, the cost of Thanksgiving dinner is down for the third straight year. John C. Newton, the chief economist at the American Farm Bureau, will join us shortly to explain the detail. But the top line is that the American Farm Bureau's Federation's 33rd annual survey of classic items found on Thanksgiving Day dinner table indicates that the average cost of this year's feast for 10 people is $48.90, or less than $5 a person. This shows a $0.22 cent decrease from last year's average of $49.12. The shopping list for the Farm Bureau survey includes turkey, stuffing, sweet potatoes, rolls with butter, peas, cranberries, a veggie tray, pumpkin pie, whipped cream, coffee, and milk all in sufficient quantities to serve a family of 10 with plenty for leftovers. What grocers need to know is that this year with these lower costs, expect shoppers to add more Thanksgiving impulse items to their list. So be sure to build displays featuring those shopping basket add-ons. It's time to talk turkey with Daryl Glazer, farmer and owner of Bargee and Revel turkey farms in Rogers, Texas, who joins us where he raises turkeys and cattle. Daryl is a former face of farming and ranching for the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance. Daryl, thanks for joining us on this special Thanksgiving edition of Farm Food Facts. Yes, how are you? I'm good. So, you know, in looking at everything that you're doing, it's impressive. I, I understand that your flock is over 120,000. That is correct. Now, 24% of turkeys that are sold in U.S. grocery stores are purchased in the three weeks prior to Thanksgiving. Wow, that must really make production difficult. Uh, well, I mean, not from our standpoint, we we raise birds year-round. So, uh, but obviously, this is the time of year that most of the turkeys are sold. In talking about turkeys, I've noticed that a new trend that we're seeing um, is what's called tiny turkeys. And we're seeing that being led by millennials. But there's two companies, Butterball and Bell and & Evans, um, who are offering a six-pound turkey. You know, what, what's going on with that trend? Well, it's, it's not something that's made it to our farm yet. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm sure it's, a, it's an effort to increase consumption. Uh, one thing I think with turkey, it's um, not a necessarily year-round staple, except when it comes to sandwiches and things like that at Subway. Mm -hmm. So anything that could be done to drive the whole bird market a little bit better would uh, would be a good idea. And and certainly, I think having a six-pound turkey makes it really easy for people to bake it off and and so on, and not have to you know panic before Thanksgiving the way so many people do. Absolutely. I would, I would definitely agree with that. So, you know, I know that retailers love selling turkey um, during holiday time. In fact, according to Catalina, shopping baskets that include a turkey are 174% larger than the average basket size um, during the same period of time. So what can retailers do to really promote more turkey? Well, I think like in, in our local area, we have uh, HEB supermarkets and that, that they're more in the south or, or really Texas is their, their home base. But uh, what they do is, is a lot. And I think we see this across the board at other places as well. Uh, we were there last week and they, you would, uh, if you bought a ham of a certain size, you got a turkey for free. And wow. so they, they do a lot of combinations like that. And then also the, the price of the turkey, they, they really cut those back 
you know, during Thanksgiving to, you know, obviously bring people in the store. But uh, I think that I believe I saw turkeys in HEB selling for 69 cents a pound. Wow. Um, the other stat that I came across, which is interesting, you probably know this, Cracker Barrel estimates that they will sell 650,000 pounds of turkey just on Thanksgiving alone, both in the restaurants and to go. And, and that, that, that's something in our, in our local area we've seen um, – a lot of restaurants are, you know, when, when before they may be closed on Thanksgiving, they're actually serving turkey and dressing dinners uh, all throughout Thanksgiving. So, uh, you know, again, anything to, to increase consumption of, of what we produce is a great idea, in my opinion. Um, also, Daryl, you know, I see that um, you've, you've invited a celebrity to come visit your turkey farm. <laughs> well, tell, tell yes. me about that. That was that was part of uh, when I was on the faces of farming and ranching a couple of years back. I attended the uh, Future of Food conference that was held just outside of New York City, and uh, coincidentally, one of our presenters was uh, Martha Stewart. And so, as we approached the food line, uh, her and and the people that were with her, they were trying to figure out where to go. And, and this is a pretty small conference. There were maybe two hundred fifty, three hundred people there. We ended up uh, next to each other. And so I just introduced myself, and we had about a 20-minute conversation about uh, farming and ranching and what we did on our farm and ranch because she had mentioned during her talk that she had raised her own Thanksgiving turkey. And uh, and so I said, well, we, we raised a few of those as well at, at our place in Rogers, Texas, and uh, had a very good conversation and actually got a, a selfie with Martha Stewart here a couple of years very ago. Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> so, so, Daryl, let me ask you our final question for today's episode. Um, when you look at, at food prices, um, you know, we mentioned that cranberries are really selling below production cost. You gave the example of HEB selling turkeys at 69 cents. What do you see in your crystal ball for food prices over the next couple of years? Oh, I think they'll stay probably pretty much where they are. I think the one thing that um, – uh, the, the farmers and ranchers of the United States do a tremendous job and, and are very efficient and, and sometimes to a fault where we have over overproduction. But I feel like that, uh, that we'll stay about where we're at right now. I mean, it's, it's a no question. We all operate on a very, very thin margin. And so we have to be careful about not overproducing, but uh, I don't really see a whole lot of change. Great. Well, Daryl, thank you for joining us. Uh, Walter, thank you for joining us. A happy Thanksgiving to all and to your families. And for our listeners, thank you for joining us on Farm Food Facts. For more information on all things food and agriculture and to listen to our archives, please visit fooddialogues.com under the Programs and Media tab. Until next week, happy Thanksgiving.